Kingdom greetings to each and every one of you. This is your host for this evening, Dehima McLean. It is truly a pleasure and honor to be back on here with Kingdom Empowerment Radio. I just want to give you special greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I also want to give special greetings to uh, Pastor 
uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry. I'm drawing the blank. Uh, to the woman of God and to the man of God, please excuse me. It's been a long day, but praise be to God. We're on here. We're celebrating. And also to all the uh, visitors and friends that are back on here, we greet you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, I am excited to be back on here. I'm on here every first and third Mondays of every month from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, last segment, we spoke about perilous times. We're going to conclude uh, that topic on today, and I believe that the Lord has a word for this moment, this time that we're living in. It's a timely word. It's a word that God would want me to bring forth, amen, in order to to prepare God's people uh, for the day and age that we're living in. And so we're just going to open up in prayer, then I'm just going to delve right into the topic. I'm going to give a brief recap. I'm going to open up the lines every 10 to 15 minutes for any uh, callers that have any questions, statements, comments, or prayer requests. We're going to open up the lines for that. And so once again, I want to thank God for uh, Dr. Ganny, uh the woman of God and the man of God, the founders of Kingdom Empowerment Radio Program. Amen. I didn't get it right the first time, but to God be the glory. Amen. I bless God for each and every one of you. Praise the Lord. Father God, we want to thank you for this day that you have made. Uh, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we worship you. We give you all the honor that you so richly deserve. Father, there is none like you. There is none beside you, O oh God. And, Father, we lift you up, God. We lift your name on high, for you are holy. You are worthy. You are righteous. God, there is none uh, like you, Father. And, God, as we are about to bring forth this word tonight, Lord, God, I pray that you will prepare our minds, our hearts for this message. Oh, God, prepare our spirits, our souls. Oh, God, amen, for uh, uh, the time that's approaching for your return. Lord, God, we pray, oh, God, that you teach us your way. Oh, God, that you'll teach us to walk circumspect before you. Lord, we worship you tonight, God. I pray that every person that's listening under the sound of my voice by the unctioning of the Holy Spirit, that God, that they will see receive a fresh impartation of your word, that they will receive a fresh download, God, that their hearts will be made ready, their minds will be made ready, that this word will, oh God, help to bring them back into divine alignment and positioning, oh God, to your good and perfect will. Lord, we worship you tonight. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, if you haven't already, go ahead and invite someone on this prayer uh, call, amen, invite someone on this blog talk radio call tonight, amen, because it's going to be a tremendous blessing to you, hallelujah, uh, if you have any friends or anyone that's on social media that you know that they're available at this moment, tell them to call in at 646-668-2413, again, that's six. Or six 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 eight two four one three right here tonight, Amen. And it's going to be dynamic. It's going to be a teaching, Amen. That it's not very popular, and it's not prevalent, but it is necessary. It's necessary. Uh, last week we spoke a bit 
about the great apostasy. And I just want to recap for, for many of you about what the great apostasy is. We said apostasy means a defiance of an established system or authority. Uh, we mentioned that it's a rebellion, an abandonment or breach of faith. It's also a great falling away. And the Bible talks about this in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3. It says, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to to." Deucing and deceiving spirits and doctrines of devil, devils, uh, and speaking lies in hypocrisy, in hypocrisy. And so we know that there's going to be a great falling away that many people are not going to be preaching the unadulterated, uncompromising word of God anymore, that they're going to uh, preach doctrines that is not biblical, uh, doctrines that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but they're man-made, doctrines that is appeasing to the flesh, doctrines, amen, of devils that seducing people and luring them away from the true uh, undiluted word of God. And so the Bible says that we're to be aware of these things because this time has come and the time is now where many people are going to become susceptible to the lies and the deception, the strong delusion that the enemy is bringing forth to us today. And so as a Christian, uh, it is our responsibility uh, to make sure that we keep ourselves on guard. We have to keep our heart guarded, our mind guarded, our spirits guarded, because the enemy is out to seek us to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus Christ has come that we may have life and that more abundantly. But in order for us to have that abundant life that God is speaking of, the reason why Jesus came was for us to have that abundant life. And in order for us to possess that abundant life, to live in the fullness of his promises, we have to be assured that we are following God circumspectly, that we're doing everything that he uh, has commissioned us to do, and to make sure that ultimately that we know God for ourselves that we develop a relationship with him, that we develop uh, a spiritual inclination, that we know his voice so well uh, that we will not be deceived, that we will not have itchy ear, uh, uh, and just listening to every wind of doctrine that is presented to us. And that's why so many people are falling away from the faith. Uh, they think that they're safe. They believe that they're safe. They believe that the doctrine that they're preaching is suitable, uh, but really it, it's not. And so we want to be prayerful that in this time, this day and age that we're living in, that we are not lured away, amen, by the tactics and the schemes and the plans of the enemy. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. If you can just bear with me tonight, amen, we're going to go into this topic for the more uh, if by any chance you want me to repeat something, I will do so. Um, I apologize for my voice. It's a bit strained, but to God be the glory, we're going to get into this word. Glory be to God. And so as we mentioned in retrospect, an apostasy is a result of the lack and the loss of appetite uh, that we have for God, that our zeal, our fire, our our love for the things of God is not where it once used to be. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have those seasons in our life where we experience dry seasons, dry spells, 
we oftentimes feel like uh, a God is not with us. We feel forsaken, forgotten, and isolated. We may uh, feel the absence of his presence. We feel that uh, God is not answering us, and so we just feel a sense of abandonment. Uh, 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 being alone. We uh, uh, feel like there's no one there to really help to build us up in the faith, and, and God is not answering our prayers. There are those moments that we feel like that, moments where we feel complacent, stagnant. We just don't feel like uh, uh, serving God the way we once used to serve him because perhaps you're going through a trivial moment, and that's why you're feeling that way, or maybe you know, you've been praying and nothing happened, or maybe you're going through an oppression, and so you say, I just want to throw in the towel. Uh, I just don't want to persevere anymore. I don't want to take up my cross and follow after him. It's too much rules. It's too much uh, 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 warfare that's attached to this Christ that we're talking about. But I want you to know that if you just hang in a little longer, if you will just remain steadfast in the things of God, you will find that your life will go blossom, that your life will become better, that your life, amen, and your spiritual life and appetite will come back. And so because people get the uh, discouraged, they lose their appetite for the things of God, but we have to continue to press into his presence, amen, sometimes you got to have a press inside of you, sometimes you got to have a bit of a push inside of you, yes, you may be lethargic, you may be tired, you may be stressed out, beaten down, broken down, but God will give you strength, amen, that's when he says that he will give you beauty for ashes, hallelujah, he will give you joy for your sorrow. Uh, he will exchange, amen, hallelujah, every uh, plan and every plot that the enemy has had uh, uh, signed against your life and strategized against your life to, to, to turn you away from the faith. God will bring about a divine turning around. <clears throat> God will bring a divine turn around in your life. And so it is imperative uh, that we continue to press into God's presence. Now, there are some uh, that genuinely uh, feel as though they're just tired, but they love the Lord. While there are others who fall away because, as I mentioned before, that they fall into sin or they are just living presumptuous lifestyles based on their sins. And so we want to know that these are some of the reasons why people are falling away. Uh, last week I gave an example on uh, how to know if you are becoming an apostate. One of the things that we mentioned is that you have perhaps lost or left your first love. The second thing is the church services bore you. Uh, we also talked about your failing to do what you know you should do, meaning your Christian duties. The fourth thing is worldly things attract you more than spiritual things. And the fifth and last is there is no participation in the work of the church or the work of the kingdom. And you find yourself just uh, pursuing your own exploits, your own endeavor, your own agenda, uh, but never really putting interest uh, into the things of God. And so uh, all these things,
things happen uh, because we lost our first love. We talked about this briefly last week, uh, according to Revelation chapter 2, verses 4. It says, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, for whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first work, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlesticks out from his place, except thou repent. Those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And so God wants us to give heed to everything that he's saying that if we have lost our first love, he is not indicting you because you have fallen, but the indictment comes in is that when we fall and we do not turn or repent or turn back to him, but rather we fall into our idol worship. We fall into uh, 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 getting ourselves into sin, deeper and deeper into sin. These are the only things that God will judge us for in the end. But God will see and your circumstances, if you have fallen at some given point in your life and you have fallen away, God is merciful. He will extend his grace and mercy to you. Amen. God is a God of justice. He's a God of love. And so you have fallen away or you have gotten to discovered some point in your life in journey, but it's not when you fall. It's if you stay down there, then that's when uh, you would have to uh, reach out to God. But it's not when you fall and you get back up again. God is not talking about that. And so it's those people who are turning away from the faith. He's saying to those individuals that it is important that they repent because unless they repent, the candlesticks shall be removed from them. Now, I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. I don't want God to remove the candlestick from my life. One of the things that I've always endeavored to do is to allow the fire of God to continuously burn on the inside of me. Amen. And when I feel discouraged, amen, I just make sure that I get back to the place where I know the fire is always blazing, and that's called the altar. And that's a place that we oftentimes don't redirect people to. Uh, we tell people to, to go to this church and go to this conference, go to this event, but when was the last time we found ourselves back at the altar? You see, when you are back at that altar, you cannot become an apostate. When you live at that altar, you will not be an apostate. When you live at the altar of God, your appetite will increase and not decrease. When you live at that altar, your relationship with Jesus Christ becomes stronger and stronger, more deeper, more fortified. Amen. When you live at that altar, hallelujah, the fire that burns on the inside of you, the passion, uh, the zeal that's on the inside of you, uh, God will begin to intensify uh, to the point where you can't keep it to yourself. And that's what Prophet Jeremiah said. It says, although he was going through the persecution, uh, although people were coming up against him and assaulting him, even though he felt so many backlash uh, uh, from serving this God, this Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the God that we serve, the God of the universe. Uh, although he was going through all of that, he did not give up. Uh, amen. Because he knew who he served, and that is God himself, Elohim, the almighty God. Hallelujah. The God of all gods. And that's when he says, hallelujah, I can't cannot give up.
on my God because and, and, and neither can I turn my back on him or stop preaching this message because his word is like fire that shut up in my bones and so I want you to understand tonight when you live at that altar it's like an ignition and fire to your bones that you just can't keep it to yourself there will be a passion to preach Jesus Christ there will be a passion hallelujah to do the things of God but when we lose our first love that's because we lost our passion that's because we have become displaced we're no longer at the altar we're no longer dining and feasting at his feet and so the more you are away from the things of God the more you allow the things of the world to consume your thoughts to consume your mind your heart is the further away we'll become from God but God says amen he's not so distant he's not so far apart from you that he would not come and intervene on your behalf. Hallelujah. So you may have found yourself as being an apostate. You may find yourself going through some things in your life where you just feel like God is not there. But God wants to remind you tonight, amen, that he is your first love. Uh, the world is not your first love. Your husband, your wife is not your first love. Glory be to God. And no matter how much they may make you feel. No matter how much you may love them, God is your first love. And he says, only if you would turn to me and repent, only if you would acknowledge me in all your ways. Hallelujah. I will direct you. I will come and dine with you. I will feast with you. I will give you back your appetite. I will show you the promises that I have for you. Hallelujah. I will strengthen you. Whatever it is that you need God to do, God will be right there to intercede and intervene and to bless you. Glory be to God. But the thing is that uh, many people also become apostates is because they want the benefits of God without the relationship. And so God says, amen. One of the things that uh, we we expect is that we we want the the hands of God, but not the, the 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 face of God. And so what he's saying, listen, you've got to seek my face first, because if you seek my face and you seek the kingdom of God first and His righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. But you see, people want the addition and not the face of God. And so when they don't receive the blessings of God, they turn away from God. But Amen. That's because we have gotten to a place where we're spiritually lazy uh, and complacent and relaxed, and we, we don't want to take the time out to seek God's face because this is just too much work. I would rather go to church, allow the pastor to preach to me. I would rather someone lay hands on me, someone prophesy to me because it's easier that way. And I can just get the blessings uh, uh, transferred to me. Hallelujah. That easily is just a, 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 a pop pop-up mentality that we have, a micro, microwave mentality that we just want a gimme, gimme, gimme God, but we don't want to take the time out to sacrifice ourselves and say, God, now I want to seek you, and whatever it takes to seek your face, amen, that's what I'm after. But you see, you got to be after his face and not his things, and God knows our intentions, but that's why people turn away, because they just want the things, they don't want his face, and that's that's why you also see and make observation when you read the scripture. There were many people who followed Christ, but they were not necessarily disciples of Christ. I'm going to say that again. There are many followers, but not many disciples. There are many followers, but not many are lovers of God. It's easy to follow somebody because.
because they're giving out provision. It's easy to follow somebody because of the popularity. It's easy to follow somebody as they did with Jesus because his fame went abroad all throughout the nations. It was easy to follow Jesus because they knew he performed miracles, signs, and wonders. It was easy to follow him because they knew that he came with all wisdom and knowledge. It was easy to follow him. Hallelujah, because they had needs. It was easy to follow him because they needed healing and they needed deliverance. And when Jesus healed them, uh, all of a sudden, the story begins to change. The narrative changes. Uh, uh, see, you were thirsty after him because you knew he was giving out something. Amen. Who am I talking to tonight? You understood that it was easy to follow him because he had fish and loaves. Amen. It was easy to follow him because when you so badly needed that deliverance, you went seeking after him. You was always on in his face. You was always in God's presence. But the moment you got that healing, the moment you got that deliverance, the moment you got that husband or wife, the moment you got that car or house or that breakthrough, oh God, now we don't see. God don't see us anymore. And we fall away from the things of God because we were after the fish and loaves and not God himself. And so the Bible says that Many from that day had turned away. They walked away. They were so many people following him until he boiled down with 12. And guess what? Uh, realistically, one of them was a devil. Hallelujah. And so all the while, uh, though people were following him, they were not truly his disciples. And we see that today. That's why it's so easy to become an apostate because you're just following him. You're not truly a disciple. People are not truly a disciple. You're not truly a servant. You're not truly yielding and submitting yourself to God. So it's easy to follow him that way. Uh, and I've seen that many times. Oh, God, if you bless me. Oh, God, if you hear me. Oh, God, if you do this and that for me, uh, I will serve you. And we begin to make these vows and covenants unto God. And we begin to say all these nice things to God. And even though God already knows the end, glory be to God, we say it because uh, uh, we're just in a state of emotionalism. But when we are worshiping God, it, it has nothing to do with emotionalism because one minute, with your emotions, it's conditional. One minute you will love God, next minute you will hate God. One minute you're with him, next minute you're not. One minute you're on fire, next minute you're, you're, you're down to ashes. And so uh, God understands that he does not want you to serve him with your emotions because if you serve God with your emotions, it's easy to become an apostate. If you serve God with your emotions, you're just going to want his things and not his faith. And that's why he says that he is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Don't just serve me in spirit. Hallelujah. But I want you to serve me in truth. And the truth is, is, is in his word, the truth. And when you begin to seek him, you find and discover the truth. That's all, all the people that I'm looking for. Those who are faithful, those who are faithful even unto death, those who are faithful and loyal to God, and they say, God, even if you take this away from me as they happened with Job, you can go away my possessions, my riches, my faith, everything that I have, everything that I owe, my life, my will, God, you take it from me, but it's not going to separate me from the love of God. See, God wants us to be able to get to that depth. He wants us to be able to get to that place where it says, amen, what shall separate me from the love of God? Hallelujah. Neither death nor life. Nothing shall separate me. Hallelujah. You can make that. When you are truly 
committed and submitted and yielded to God, you will say, it doesn't matter. The worldly things don't attract me. Hallelujah. The things of the world don't appease me. It don't appeal me. Because when you are so full with God, you would not have an appetite for the things of the world. You won't be so easy to fall away. And that's what the Bible says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. Hallelujah. When you finally get a taste of his glory, when you finally get a taste of his revelation and get a taste of who he is and how great he is, how powerful and how majestic and sovereign God is, when you truly get a taste, amen, hallelujah, he will fill you up. Hallelujah. It will be like rivers that's flowing out of your belly. As he said in the word, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. When you taste, amen, of God, it's sweeter than honey. His word is sweet. Hallelujah. His grace and mercy is sweet. When you taste of Jesus, you won't have a desire to taste anything else. But this is what happens with many of us. Hallelujah. We, we want to get a little sampling of God. We treat God like an appetizer, just like when we go out to eat, we treat it like a little appetizer, and now I want to taste a little bit of this, and I want to taste a little bit of that, and after you had an appetizer, then you want to taste something else, but God does not want you, hallelujah, to treat him as a sampler. He doesn't want you to treat him as a sampler. He wants you to have the fullness of who he is. Hallelujah, because he says, as he said to the woman at the well, he says, if you just drink of this water, oh God, you shall never thirst again. If you just truly drink, I'm not talking about just wetting your tongue and wetting your appetite for the moment. I'm not talking about the momentary satisfaction, but if you truly get this word inside of you, if you truly, hallelujah, get this living water in the inside of you, you shall never thirst again. The things that you so desire, you will no longer have that kind of desire. You will desire me. Hallelujah. And that's the place God wants us to be. But the reason why, once again, it's easy to become an apostate, it's simply because our our, our our appetite, our zeal, our passion was never truly for the things of God. This is why you got to begin to assess yourself, begin to examine your life and say, where am I in God? Why am I really doing this? Why am I really serving God? Am I in this because of the benefits? Am I, or am I in this for a platform? Am I in this for popularity? Am I in this for the applause of men? Am I in this to be celebrated? Why am I in this? Why am I even serving God? Because this when you serve in God, there comes suffering. And unless you're willing to deal with the suffering and meant to get to the glory, hallelujah, then you're not going to last, amen, in this thing. Oh, God, because people just want to get to the glory, but they don't want the story part. And so you've got to go do some things. And that's how God tests our love. Not that he don't know the depth of how we feel about him, but he wants to reveal to us, I'm going to show you the depth of your love. I'm going to put you through some things. I'm going to put you through some warfare. I'm going to put you through some trivial moments. I'm going to allow you, hallelujah, the enemy to try to sift you as be. I'm going to let you have a Job experience. I'm going to let you have a David and, and, and a, a Joseph experience. I'm going to put you through these experiences. Oh, God, and I'm going to try your faith. I'm going to put you through the, uh, the lions uh, and, and the fiery furnace.
this. Hallelujah. And the lions did it as they did for Daniel. And I'm going to try your faith, and I'm going to try the measure of your love. Hallelujah. And that's why some people don't last, because the measure of their love was not deep enough. It was not deeply entrenched enough. And so when the trials of life come, we just... Uh, we just run for the hills. And these are the people that have left their first love. But he says, I want you to return to me, uh, uh, God. And I'm going to tell you this because I don't want you uh, to remove your candles, but I need you to repent, uh, which means that he's a God of second chances. Uh, not only is he a God of second chances, but he's a God of the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, and countless chances, as much chances as he wants to give. Uh, glory be to God. See, that's the loving God that we serve. Uh, and he gives us a window of opportunity. But will we seize that opportunity to serve God wholeheartedly? Will we seize the opportunity to serve God with our whole heart, our minds, our body, our spirit, and soul? Hallelujah. Will we give it all up to God? We oftentimes sing that song, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Oh, God, but we've got to really mean that thing. We've got to really practice what we preach. Our profession has to become real to us. Oh God, we can't just profess something that we're never measuring up to, but it's got to be real. We've got to personalize it. We've got to be real about this thing. Listen, we are already at 733. I'm going to open up the lines for anyone who has any questions, statements, or comments. Caller, you are live. God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How you doing? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. God bless you. God bless you. Hi. Um, yes, uh, thank you so much uh, for this topic tonight. It's, uh, it's very, very important. And one thing that I've realized is that many of us are not looking for God. We're looking for a genie. And we're looking for someone who can serve our needs. As you mentioned earlier, we're, we're not looking for God. We're looking for the fish and the loaves. And we, we, want our, we want our bellies fed. But we don't want to be spiritually fed. And this is what God is after. He's looking for those who are spiritually hungry, not so much physically. Jesus came and provided, he, yes, he made sure that there was provision for those that needed. And he took care of that provision with the fish and the loaves. But what he was really after, he was after a people, after God's own heart. And when we reference the scripture, and in fact, I'll go there since we're on the subject. In uh, Romans chapter 8. Verses 20, uh, 29, I'll read. With the bone here, right? Uh, the scripture reads, For whom he did, excuse me, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So the message here is that this, this is a this is a message that is not for everyone. Everyone's not going to receive this message. Not everyone is right. considered to be the elect of God. And what mm -hmm. I'm saying 
is, and and let, let me even expand on that because there's some people that will say, well, uh, well then what's the purpose of serving God? I'm not the elect. Well, we don't know that. None of us are walking around uh, with, with a sign around our neck saying, I am the elect of God. The elect of God, it's, it's a worldwide ministry. And this is why Jesus died for the world, because the elect are in the world. And there are going to be some people who are going to receive the fish and the loaves. They're going to eat. They're going to hear a message. But they're not going to stay. They're not going to stay with the Lord. Mm-hmm. They're going to walk with him for a season. And because he provided the fish and the loaves and he gave them something to eat, sure, because it's, they're hungry and, he, and he's providing for them. But that spiritual message, that message of salvation, that message of the gospel, not everyone's going to stay around for that. Why? Because it's not of interest. And, and, and you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, again, we must fulfill the scripture. And like you said, uh, there are going to be some people who are going to be there, and it's only going to be for what God can do for them. It's not so much, okay, wow, you know, after receiving this, after witnessing this miracle uh, of Jesus feeding uh, the, the 5,000, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, you say, wow, my goodness, that this man, this is not like any man. <laughs> I mean, that he would multiply uh, fish and loaves of bread in, in, in such a way, there's something different about this man. I want to follow him. I want to seek him. I want to find out more about this this Jesus of Nazareth uh, because there's something unique about him. There's something different about him, and, and that's why he was so hated, and that's why many people didn't follow him because of the sayings, because of mm-hmm. the gospel that, that he preached, because it was it was something alien to them. It was something they could not comprehend. And even for those who who are listening on the air now, many people are going to think, oh, you're weird, or you're preaching the gospel. There's something different about you. I mean, who are you? And people will think, well, you're strange, you're weird. Well, you're in good company because they thought the same thing about Jesus, and they will continue to uh, uh, think the same thing about those that follow him faithfully. And I, I just wanted to say that. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to continue to listen to the program and thank you so much. This, this is a very timely message in this hour. Thank you so much for that, man of God. I really appreciate your input. Praise be to God. And just to continue uh, along with this topic, uh, the scripture in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses uh, beginning from verse 7, it says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them for me. Now I'm going to go further into this text, but I just want to stop there where it says warn them for me. Uh, Because a lot of times as God's representative, uh, when we are out there doing the work of the Lord, the first thing a person who is perhaps backslidden or an apostate or a sinner or unsaved would say, don't judge me. Uh, but what they're not realizing is that as God's servants, we are bearers and carriers of his words. And oftentimes we're coming with a message 
That's why we should approach anyone in the first place, but we're coming with a message, and the message is a message to warn God's people and, and to warn them not because he wants to judge his people, but because he wants to love on them. He wants them to, uh, to walk in the right path. Uh, but if they don't walk into the right path, then there will be uh, justice righteous justice that will be uh, uh, displayed or exhibited because of the lack of obedience thereof. And so he would say to his people, warn them for me, those who have turned away from the faith, those who are misleading my people by false doctrine, those who even have itchy ears, warn them for me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou doest not speak to warn the wicked from his ways, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, for his blood will I require at thy hand. Now, what am I saying? This scripture is very profound because it is saying that as God's servants, as his uh, pastors, leaders, uh, whichever capacity you may serve in leadership, he is saying that it is a requirement for you to be that watchman, for you to warn the wicked man of his ways. Because unless we, uh, if we do not do that, then he's going to require it at our hand, which means that there will be a penalty uh, for us for not doing the will of God. So it is imperative that when God is telling us to speak uh, and to warn the people, to let them know that there, we are living in perilous times, to let them know this is not the time to become an apostate, but to be running back to God. If you do not want them, then I will require this at your hand. That's a major responsibility. In fact, that's a wake-up call. That should uh, cause anyone to tremble, if you would ask me. And, and so as an individual who fear God, you will make it your point of duty, amen, to do the will of God and do exactly what he says to warn the people. And verse 9 says, nevertheless, as thou warn the wicked of his ways to turn from it, if he do not turn from his ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Meaning that if you are no longer going to be accountable after you have delivered the message, and if they do not turn, then that's on their account, but it's not uh, on your account. So it is important that we deliver this message of salvation. In fact, the scripture said it is not his will that any should perish, but all should come into uh, a repentance. He wants his people to be saved. And so, but if we are continuing in our path of unrighteousness and sin, then our sin will find us out. Our sin will become our own judgment. And that's why he says that the wicked shall die in his or her iniquity. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Uh, thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us and we pine away in them, how then shall we live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure, here we go, in the death of the wicked, but the, that the wicked turn from his ways and live. He's saying that you don't have to be an apostate. You don't have to live in rebellion. You don't have to live in disobedience. If you turn and live and turn from your evil ways, amen, he will restore you. Hallelujah. He will love on you. He will bless you. For why, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? And so he closed that closing remark 
with a question mark. And so it's giving us the opportunity to think. And, and it's like a pause to say, Selah, I want you to think, why should you die in your sin, in your iniquity, O house of Israel? Because I, this is not my will for your life. But if this is what you're choosing, why are you choosing uh, the, the ways of destruction? Why would you want to go in that path? Why would you want to turn back when this is the time to Serve me and seek me because I, I, I'm a life giver. I, I will, if you turn, I, I will cause you to live. I will cause you to prosper. Uh, we, we want the better life is what the scripture is saying. Now, I just want to, it's with like this word. Um, so many people are becoming apostates partly because, and I'm going to say that word again, partly because the Leadership, uh, or supposedly those who are appointed or ordained as leadership, and I'm weighing my word here, trying to say it with wisdom, uh, have a responsibility, as we just read, to minister the truth, the true doctrine to God's people. Now, there are many people that are becoming apostates, uh, even while in, in the church. They may even go to church religiously, ritualistically and still become an apostate, partly because that leader is not preaching the full gospel. That particular leader is leading people astray, is preaching seducing doctrine. Uh, uh, Perhaps they're causing individuals to look at them and not at God. All these things we have to take into account. So I, I have to ask you a few questions tonight. Is your church all about the saints, their comfort, and entertainment. These are questions that I really want you to reflect on. Is your church all about the saints, their comfort, and entertainment? It has the church become an entertainment center, a social gathering, where we're not coming together to be empowered, we're not coming together to be uh, 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 deposited and imparted into or even activated in the things of God, but we're there for entertainment. Could it be that the, that's the reason why people are falling away because it's become an entertainment center where there's no true power, no true demonstration, uh, no preaching of the cross, no preaching of the blood. Uh, has it become a place where it's appeasing for our comfort. Because the message of the gospel should be promising, but it's not always comforting. And so if we're preaching comforting messages all the time to soothe someone or a group of people, flesh, that's an issue. Here's another question that I have to ask. Is your only outreach consists of concerts and suppers that attract sheep from other foes more than lost sheep. So do we just have these concerts that attract other sheep that's already saved? Or are we preaching this gospel to attract the lost sheep? The Bible says that Jesus left the 99 and went after that one. But what's been happening today, we've been recycling members. 
We're recycling uh, the saints. We're recycling uh, uh, the Christians. So one person may go from one church to the next. And so while the next pastor may think that, wow, our church is growing and we're gaining new people, but are you gaining new souls? This is something you have to think about. There are apostates out there that need to hear this word. There are lost sheep that's out there that needs to be saved. Recycling members and calling it growth is not growth at all. It's just a recycling. I need you to think about that. Uh, are you basically holding memorial services each week for a church that no longer exists but was glorious in the 50s, the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, or the Exusa Street time? Are the, is the church that you're in, is it still glorious? Is Christ still the center of that church? Does it have a name, but really inwardly it's just dead? As the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, the dead church. It's nicely apparelled on the outside, but inside it's dead. It was once glorious where the power and the fire of God used to fall, where there were revivals being bursted out, but that was in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, in the Zusa Street. But what about now? What about in the 21st century? What about in this moment? Do we still have that same power and fire, which simply suggests and means that a revival needs to take place? But before a revival can be birthed out into the nations, globally, internationally, that fire, that revival first has to be birthed in us. We cannot have revival without prayer. We cannot have revival without the word. We cannot have revival without uh, 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 instruction. We cannot have revival without obedience or righteousness. We cannot have revival without holiness. We cannot have revival without the Holy Spirit. Please hear me. And so all these services that we're keeping, and, and while people are even in church dying, they're calling it revivals, but people are actually dying or becoming apostates in church. You know why? That we can call it revivals and people still die? The Holy Spirit is no longer there. The Holy Spirit is the life of the church. There will be no revival without him. He is the originator, the initiator, the implementer, the creator, the innovator of, rev of revival. And unless he's there, we are just putting on a performance. That's the only way that the church will become glorious again, is if we make the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father, the center of the church, because he governs the church. As the Bible says, he holds the seven stars in his hand. He governs his church. And that's the only way it'll be glorious again. And so it is important that we repent, that we turn to God. It is important that we wake up. We have made this modern church day that we're living like a graveyard. It's like a graveyard. Sadly to say, 
And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to birth back revival in us. Here's another question that I have for you. Does the church vacillate when it comes to taking a stand on truth? Does your church, or even you as the church, the ecclesia, uh, 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 do you compromise, vacillate when it comes on taking a stand for truth? Are you afraid to even preach the truth because you are afraid that you may lose members? Are you afraid to preach the truth uh, uh, because you may lose the titers? Or you may lose the popularity. No one may even invite you. So we don't want to take a stand. Here's another question. And these are questions to think about. Are all your messages, mental messages, that make people feel good, but does not address the root cause of their guilt or pain or sin. We have to get to the core of things. Where we're preaching this message, we're preaching this gospel to bring about restoration and healing and deliverance. When Jesus was walking the earth, he was the living word. And as the living word, that's all he did was bring healing. Deliverance, restoration, signs and wonders. And unless the message you preach today is demonstrating the life of Christ, it's not an authentic message. Excuse me. Uh, are your messages just motivational speeches that offends no one? And it's a form of a chocolate-coated message. If your message that you preach does not at some given point offend someone into repentance, that message is diluted. I'm going to say that again. If your message does not offend someone into repentance, that message is a diluted message. Because that message is supposed to ignite, or supposed to provoke change. It's supposed to provoke uh, want to want to seek God with your whole heart. If it doesn't offend them, if it, that message that we preach does not hurt your flesh, that means you are alive to your flesh and you're dead to the spirit. But we're supposed to be alive to the spirit and not our flesh. And we cannot have the both of them. Romans 8, chapter 8 tells us that. It makes it very plain that the spirit is not subjected to the law of the flesh, neither indeed can it be. But we want to blend in the best of both worlds. I want the benefits of God, but I also want the benefits of the world. It doesn't work that way. It's like oil and water. It cannot mix. It cannot mix. What does light have to do with darkness? then God calls us lukewarm. These messages that we are preaching today should offend someone into repentance. I'm going to open up the lines uh, real briefly be before I go into uh, my other points, uh, uh, just to briefly uh, talk about the Great Commission 
and a few other things before we proceed. So, color your life. If you have anything that you would like to add, uh, please feel free to do so. Now the um, the line is yours. God bless you. Hello, Hello, uh, woman of God. Yes, God bless you, man of God. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, comment, uh, my dear prophetess. And I just wanted to thank you for the message, and also to to say that this this is a, a dangerous time. And yes. not only that, it's a dangerous time. And we are also seeing that a lot of hatred everywhere. Mm. And the Lord has said it in in his word. Because when we look at the book of Matthew, chapter 24, mm-hmm. it's there that on the last day, the our love is going to wash cold. That's right. Yeah. And there will be uh, a, lot, a lot of people saying, no, I, I don't want to belong to this faith. And it's only those who we endure will be able to what? Save. Yes. You see? So, and, and, and most of the things that will try us, it's basically the loss of the flesh, loss of the eye, and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. those are the areas that is going to try us. And many of us are going to fall in those groups and say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm tired. So I go for this. Mm. So we will need prayer than ever before to be able to survive and endure. Because if we don't pray, we are not we are not equipped. Come on, that's we, right. We saw in the book of Matthew uh, 26 on the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, mm-hmm. he went there to pray. Three times he came back. The people he trusted could not even join. And he told them, watch and pray so that you will be able to work. That's right. That's the, right. The trial that is going to come. So we need more prayer than ever before. And we need to watch and we need to check around and see what is going on and be able to check ourselves and endure so that we will be able to to go through this perilous time. So I just want to thank you and God bless you. God bless you, men of God. Thank you so much for key word, uh, men of God. You use the word prayer. It is so imperative that we pray. Uh, prayer is the engine of the church. Amen. It's the engine of our faith. We have to pray. Unless we pray and we're connected to God, then we'll be disconnected. Amen. Prayer is that vehicle that connects us to heaven. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is that vehicle that connects us to heaven. And if we are not connected, that means we are disconnected. If we're disconnected, anything is prone or privy to happening to us. And that's why people are falling away. Uh, prayer has, is no longer the center uh, or the focus of the church anymore. Now we're uh, focusing our attention on all other things except for prayer, except for uh, uh, seeking and searching God 
and serving God through prayer. And so it is important that we do that. And the men of God made a great point. Unless we pray uh, and be watchful and vigilant, the Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Let Satan get an advantage of you. And unless you pray, Satan will get a foothold of you. And when he gets a foothold, amen, and that breach is broken, then you know he will uh, ensnare you. He will wrap you up in a web. Amen. He will use you as his slave. Amen. He will destroy your life. He will take you farther away from God, farther away from your faith. And he will seduce you. He will entice you. And he's doing the same thing to us today. But Jesus showed us that example, how important prayer is. And when the man of God uh, made that emphasis, I was just reminded of Matthew chapter 4. Amen. And Jesus showed us how to deal uh, with these situations when the diabolical suggestions come, when the enemy is trying to seduce us with doctrine and trying to let us know, uh, oh, I will give you the world, and I will provide this and that for you. Amen. The approach that we're to take. The Bible simply says it as this, that um, that when, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. See, that's the, that's the key word. That's the key word. He was hungry. And I want you to look at this in a spiritual perspective because we're talking about spiritual appetite, and we're talking about being an apostate. The reason why people become apostates is because they lack spiritual appetite. But watch this. The Bible says he was hungry. Now, when you look at this in a spiritual perspective, you'll find that he was hungry, not only physically, but spiritually. Uh, uh, He always wants to be connected to the Father, uh, connected to divinity. Watch this. And this is what happened. It's Usually at your point when you are hungry the most, that's when the enemy will tempt you. He will try to dangle uh, other things in your face and present other things to you because he understands your appetite is open. And so it says he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy mountain in the city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and their hands shall bear you up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus replied and said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord. And here I'm going to go further. See, this is what the enemy does. He starts to present different things to you. When he wants to lure you away, he will present diabolical suggestions, false doctrines, seducing doctrine to you. But look how Jesus uh, uh, counter-attacked counter each approach. Each time he tried to tempt him. First, Jesus told him, men shall not live by bread alone. Then Jesus told him, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. The Bible says, again, the Lord... The devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And see, that's what apostates will do. They will take the devil up on his offer because it sounds attractive. 
It sounds like you're getting more, but it's a trap. It's an ensnarement. Uh, these are perilous times, and the men of God said it. That's why the hearts have been waxing cold. They have been ensnared. They have fallen away from the faith. They allowed the devil, the tempter, the snake, the dragon to seduce them away. And then Jesus said this, on the third attempt, Jesus had about enough of him. He said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall thou serve. See, that's how you got to tackle the devil. Amen. You got to say, away with you. You see, you can only let the devil flee when you're submitted to God. And that's what Jesus did. He submitted himself to God. So when the devil came to present all these worldly pleasures to him, he said, away with you. And he reminded uh, the Satan of the God that he's connected to, the father that he's connected to. You've got to remind the devil that your father whom you're connected to, that you cannot be seduced because you're connected to the father. Glory be to God. And he's reminded him of, uh, of, of our earthly and spiritual and heavenly position. He says, though, listen, I govern over you. I have dominion and authority over you. You are going to worship the Lord thy God because you are a defeated foe. You cannot tempt me. You cannot offer me anything that my father has not already made the provision of. And see, but that's what it is. People are settling for less. And so when the enemy presents all these things to them, they settle for less, not knowing that Jesus has reserved all the greater promises for them. I know the man of God, uh, uh, the other gentleman, wanted to share something. I'm going to open up the line so that you can interject, man of God. Good evening. Good evening. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add to what the man of God was saying with regards to prayer. You know, it, it's really very important. It's it's beyond important. It's it's as you said, it's our lifeline. Uh, when we look at uh, individuals from other faith, uh, Muslims will pray five times a day, pointing yes. east to Mecca, and there could be Muslim businessmen, and they will literally stop what they're doing, even though let's say the practice of business, they'll have someone else. Uh, uh, conduct the business, but they will stop what they're doing to go in the back and to pray. And that's a discipline. And I feel in many cases in Christianity, we lack that discipline when that's it right. comes to our prayer life. And if we understand how significant prayer is and what prayer is really all about, and the reason why we pray, then I think we would be more committed to it. And uh, and there have been times, yes, I've even struggled in my prayer life, and I have to ask God for strength. And I'd say, Lord, uh, there are times when I pray, and 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 this is where we need discernment. There are times people who have uh, who are genuinely uh, trying to pray, and then they start to fall asleep. These are issues that we go through. These are attacks that many of us go through when it comes to either our prayer life or when it comes to our Bible study time. And we can't just say, well, you know, I had a long day, so I'm tired. Now, that may very well be true. However, there are times when the adversary does not want you to connect 
with your God. He does not want you to connect with Jesus. He does not want you to connect with God the Father. So he'll he'll bring a sleep wave over you to try to fan you to sleep, to try to uh, get you to say, you know, I'll pray later. I'm too tired right now. I'll I'll, I'll get up. I'll, I'll take a little nap, and I'll get up in a couple of hours and I'll pray. Uh, how many of us actually do that? Who? How many of us are actually committed to doing that? We have to recognize what's going on and say, okay, I see the assignment. Go turn the TV on, and all of a sudden you find, oh, or, 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 or put the radio on, all of a sudden you have the strength. You know, you, you're not tired anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. We have to really understand uh, as believers that, if we're going to get through these difficult times, we need God, and we need prayer. And it's amazing. You know, we're, we're, we, can, we, we set up for church on, on Sundays, but when it comes to having those prayer meetings, you know, it's not easy to get people to come out and pray. And for whatever reason, that, I feel that's a discipline that uh, we, we need to develop. And for those that don't know how to pray and it's, and many in, in many cases, prayer has become a contest where it's like, well, you know, I, I, I don't pray like you do. I'm not asking you to. What I'm asking you to do is to, <laughs> is to go back into your, 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 your archive, if you will, and examine your life. And when you look at where you came from, uh, then, hey, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. I thank you, for Lord, for saving my life. Lord, I thank you for... For, for 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 blessing me in such a way with a uh, with, with a job, Lord, I was unemployed, and now, Lord, you've blessed me with this position. You, all of us have some reason to give thanks. You may not have very much at all, but you most likely have more than a lot of people. Let's give thanks. So prayer is more than just getting on your knees. It's Lord. It, it, it's communing with God. Yes, and it's saying, Lord. Not just thank you for for what you've given me, but just thank you for who you are, that you would even look upon me, that you would even consider me, and and really just breaking those layers of, of, you know, a lot of us have gone through a lot of things, a lot of hurt in our past and disappointments, Uh, so many of us are discouraged and we feel that there's no need to pray, why am I going to pray, what's the point, and I prayed before and I haven't really gotten any results, well, God doesn't operate on your timetable, and he operates on his time. And a lot of us, we use the excuse that prayer doesn't work. I've tried it, brother. I've tried it, sister. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. We put it that way. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. So if it works for one person, it's not working for another, then maybe that's a question we need to ask. Well, 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 maybe the Lord is not answering you yet, or maybe he has answered you, you're just not listening. So there's many reasons why people say that I've prayed, but God has not answered my prayer. You know, I asked for prayer uh, uh, that my loved one would live and my loved one died. So there can't, so there's no God. Or you get the uh, arguments that, uh, well, uh, if there's a God, how much, how much, why is there so much evil in the world? You know, I love those questions because it really does open up, you know, the door for communication with regards to who God is and why he allows certain things to happen for his glory, which is beyond our understanding. And it's understandable because we're finite thinkers. We don't have the mind of God. 
God is infinite. We're not. So when we see evil in the world and we see people committing evil acts and things happening in the world, I'll use 9-11 as an example, as I've used in the past. And many people have asked the questions, well, how come the Lord didn't stop those planes uh, from hitting the towers, from hitting the Pentagon? Uh, uh, if he's all-powerful, how come he could have stopped it? Absolutely he could have. But when I look at the, 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 the blessing, and not just the blessing, but also the questions that people were asking, it, it opens the door for a conversation. It opens the door for God to finally come in. Now he has our attention. He's been trying to get our attention for a long time, but we're so busy going to and fro the earth yeah. When, I'm, when I'm saying that, I'm saying going to and from doing our own business, preoccupied, so focused on, 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 on uh, 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 what we're doing, our jobs, our daily lives, that we don't have time for prayer. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for intercession. So we have no place for him. So when tragedy comes, when the hurt comes, when the pain comes, when death comes to someone close to us, we ask the question, why? Because God has been trying to get our attention for so long. He's trying to say to us that, as Scripture says, that as some count slack, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. Long-suffering towards us who have ignored him, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he wants us to come to him, in our time of grief, in our time of hurt, and say, Lord, I, I, I can't handle this on my own. I need help. That is what prayer is about. Prayer is more than just asking for something. As I had shared earlier, God is not a genie. He doesn't come out of a lamp. We rub a lamp. He comes out of a lamp, and we get three wishes. He's more. He's so much more than that. 